we're going to begin in Matthew in two weeks. And one of the reasons we've done this Old Testament flyover this summer is to try to see the mission of God lift off the pages of Scripture as we see him interact at different times in different generations with different people, same God, same plan, different circumstances, different people. And and so we hope that we're getting a clearer sense able to answer the question, what is the mission of God? And as we get into Matthew in two weeks, I hope that that even becomes more clear as we get into the life and the ministry of Jesus. And so a question we would ask is, what is, what is the mission of God? One author describes the mission of God this way, saying the mission of God is to glorify himself in the world by rescuing people and restoring creation. The mission of God is glorifying himself in the world by rescuing people and restoring creation. And so what we understand his purpose and his character to be gives us lenses by which we see the world around us and it helps make sense of what's going on uh, in our lives and in the lives of others. The clearer we see him, the clearer we see that we've missed the mark. The clearer we see his path, where he's going, what he values, what he's doing, the clearer we see that path, that path, the more that we realize that often we find ourselves off trail, off the path, in the woods, with the poison oak, with the jagged rocks. The clearer we see him, the more clearly we see that we've missed the mark, the more clearly we see his path, the more clearly we see when we deviate from it. And so the question that arises then is what do we do when we are off track? What do we do when spiritually in some way, shape, or form we have failed? And fortunately for us, the Lord gives us plenty of biblical material to understand how his people ought to respond when they've failed and what he in fact thinks about us when we are off Trail. So we're going to be in the book of Ezekiel this morning. We're going to start in chapter 33. Ezekiel is God's prophet, God's messenger to the people of Judah while in Babylonian captivity. So get this, they're in captivity. They've been judged. They've been off track for so long that God has said, I have got to bring you back somehow. You're not listening to any of my messengers. You're not responding to any of my calls. And so Babylon comes and conquers Jerusalem in 586. And there are these waves of uh, exile where people from Jerusalem are taken into captivity and uh, dispersed and are now exiled in Babylon. But we want to come back to this question, how do we fail Well, what does God think about us when we are off track? And so we're going to answer that from Ezekiel 33. Before we do, I want to ask you to think about how you respond to the Lord when he comes to you and says, you're wrong. When the finger is pointed at you, and and usually that finger could be from a spouse. Uh, It could be from a a trusted friend. It could happen as you read scripture, as the spirit speaks to you, what do you do when you are the one who's wrong? And some of you are saying, well, that's never happened, so that's a good question. I wonder. Uh, Tell me. For many of us, uh, we know some of our defaults. As I just look at the landscape at my house, 
Uh, my wife never fails, so I can't use her as an example, but the rest of us do. Uh, number three is a blamer. So when he fails, when he sins, when he's disobedient, he takes no responsibility whatsoever. And if you can get him to admit it, his default is to blame. And so it, it happens in many settings in our home. We'll be wrestling. I'll be laying on the couch or on the ground. He'll be on the couch. He will swan dive belly flop aiming for my face. And when I move and he hits a table or hurts himself, rather than saying, I shouldn't have done that, you didn't catch me. He blames me, even though he's trying to take me out. Uh, Number one is a blamer. Some of us are blamers when we sin. Uh, Number two is a hider which is really special when it's food in her bedroom that's half-eaten, snacks, produce, wet stuff, dry stuff, and maybe it's been sitting there for a week. That's just a really special part of parenting. Uh, But she's a hider. She stuffs it all under the bed. Some of us with our sin, uh, we're hiders. Uh, Firstborn is more of one who is inclined to feel the weight whether it's the weight of sin, the weight of being wrong, the weight of not measuring up. Uh, I think right now it's kind of a stew, uh, uh, all stirred together. But I have to hold him and I have to remind him that he's still loved because the weight of that uh, can crush him. So some of us with our sin just get crushed, just beaten down by it. And we become unable to even function for myself, I don't think I fit into those three categories. I do sometimes, uh, but my default, my sinful default, I should say, all of these are not necessarily scriptures, uh, recipes for what you do when you fail. Uh, these are our sin-based defaults. Mine is to try to do something to earn God's forgiveness, or if I've failed a person, I want to earn your forgiveness, and it comes from an arrogant place of thinking I'm capable of earning forgiveness, or from believing that I am not the person who did that thing. I'm a totally different person, and I will prove it to you by doing even more uh, good. And so what we see, if you sit with this this afternoon or this week, if you say, God, show me what my default is, show me where my sin is, show me in what way I refuse to take ownership, show me in what way I refuse to allow you to correct my path, Uh, I think what we'll see is that the way we respond to failures in many significant ways reflects what we believe about who God is and what he does. And so it's an important question for us to answer because our failure will either send us spiraling out of control away from the Lord, it'll either drive a wedge in that relationship that just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, or it will draw us to him. And even in our failure, we will discover that our delight, our love for the Lord, our sense of his delight and love for us uh, can actually grow. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to Ezekiel 33. I'm going to read the first six or seven verses. Uh, God is commissioning his man, Ezekiel, as a watchman. And in verse 10, uh, we're going to see an indictment from God through Ezekiel upon these people. Ezekiel 33 Starting in verse 1, I want to show you that part of the mission of God is to pursue broken people. Part of the mission of God is to run to, chase down, draw near to broken people. Verse 1 of Ezekiel 33. It says, the word of the Lord came to me. This is Ezekiel speaking. 
son of man, God to Ezekiel, son of man, speak to your people and say to them, if I bring the sword upon a land and the people of the land take a man from among them and make him their watchman, and if he sees the sword coming upon the land and he blows the trumpet and warns the people, then if anyone who hears the sound of the trumpet does not take warning and the sword comes and takes him away, well, his blood shall be on his own head. Verse 5 Because he heard the sound of the trumpet and he did not take the warning, his blood shall be upon himself. But if he had taken the warning, he would have saved his life. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet so that the people are not warned and the sword comes and takes any one of them, that person is taken away in his iniquity or in his sin, but his blood I will require at the watchman's hand. In other words, the watchman is at fault if the watchman doesn't blow the trumpet and warn the people that danger is coming. Verse 7, So you, son of man, I have made a watchman for the house of Israel. Whenever you hear a word from my mouth, you shall give them warning from me. And verse 10 is is the beginning of a warning. Verse 10 says this, And you, son of man, say to the house of Israel, Thus have you said, Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us, and we rot away because of them. How then can we live? How then can we live? So as we look at just those first 10 verses, we see that God knows all of their sin. And we're reminded that nothing is hidden from him in our lives either. Uh, Not just that, but at this point, they know their sin. They know they're in the wrong. They know they've deviated from his path. They know that they've missed the mark that he's set for them. And it says, how then can we live? Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How can we live? And that, those words... Those words describe so many of us in a room this size. Uh, There are many of us that are being tempted right now in ways that are where the enemy is just reaching out and trying to take hold of in temptation. Uh, There are many of us who are trying things, crossing lines that we never said or we said we would never cross as as we loosen uh, we loosen our, our standards. We loosen our safeguards. Uh, some of us are being tempted. Some of us are now actively trying. Some of us are trapped, are ensnared. And uh, if you fit into that first category, uh, being tempted this morning, you know, maybe for you it is uh, your relationship with the Lord and what faith has looked like. And it feels maybe for a time that, that faith has been flickering or faith has been uh, dying and and you're tempted to, to give up. You're tempted to despair. Where, where do I go from here? Um, for some of you that are maybe ensnared, maybe you feel trapped in some sort of pattern of uh, addictive uh, behavior, some sort of pattern of sin. And, and maybe it is a substance, drugs, uh, alcohol, um, painkillers, all sorts of things. Um, and you wonder, how did I get here? I don't like where I'm at, but I don't know how to get out either. 
for some of you, it's overindulging, overspending, overeating, over a million other things. I don't like where I'm at. I know I'm not in a good spot. How do I get out? We don't like where we are, but we don't know how to do anything else. And the moment we catch a glimpse of what could be in our lives, the enemy just takes this huge shovel or a dump truck worth of guilt and piles it on us. And so every moment we get a little bit of a drive to step out and break the pattern, to confess our sin, to do something about it, to surrender it to God. Uh, We're reminded by the enemy that we don't deserve his favor. We don't deserve his attentiveness. We don't deserve his power in our lives. And we stay buried and defeated. Uh, And so that's where the people of Israel are. They're there. Surely our transgressions and our sins are upon us and we rot away because of them. How can we live? That doesn't reflect hope in God. That doesn't reflect a an understanding that his power is made perfect in our weakness. It doesn't reflect an understanding that we're God's people, God's chosen people, that he's working out his good plans in us, right? Uh, It's become very uh, defeated. They're filled with despair. Uh, There's a lot to learn here from how God pursues uh, broken people. One of the things that we see is God doesn't expect Uh, broken people to just discern their own sin on their own and pull themselves up by their own bootstraps. Instead, he sends Ezekiel, he sends a watchman, he provides warnings, he maintains proximity to his people even though they've turned their back on him. He goes to them even though they've run from him. And so if you're here and you fit into any of those categories, I want you to know from the book of Ezekiel that God moves towards broken people. He's not running away from you. God moves towards broken people. It's part of his mission of pursuing broken people. Uh, Not just that. Some of us, uh, I think uh, young parents, have an itchy trigger finger on maybe certain behaviors in our home. And that trigger finger gets even itchier as the day wears on. So in the morning, there's a tremendous amount of patience and everything is cute and sweet. Uh, At 6 p.m., it's less. At 8 p.m., it's almost, it's almost non-existent. That itchy finger, trigger finger, uh, kids get sent to bed real quick uh, later in the evening and that sort of thing. And, and so I want us to see that God doesn't have an itchy trigger finger when it comes to our sin. He's not quick on punishment, quick on judgment. Uh, he doesn't delight in it at all. Uh, he says as much through Ezekiel in verse 11. He says, say to my people, say to them, as I live, declares the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn back his way and live. Turn back, turn back from your evil ways, for why will you die, O house of Israel? They have been so vile towards him, and he continues to be so good to them. And so if you're in that spot this morning and you know your sin it's ever before you as david says and you have just that sense that god is done with you i hope that you see that god does not delight in that punishment god does not delight in that bringing judgment his hope is to restore you back his hope is to bring you back his hope is that he gets to hold you close again the enemy tells us the opposite keeps us far, keeps us distant, keeps us away from what we most need uh, when we've failed. Uh, God comes to us. He is slow on the trigger finger. Uh, Third, 
He is genuinely ready, genuinely willing, genuinely wanting to welcome us back to himself. Uh, Let's read verse 16 from Ezekiel 33. The Lord is telling Ezekiel what to say and that if his people turn from their ways, uh, he will save them. It says in verse 16, none of the sins that he has committed, the person who repents, none of the sins that he has committed shall be remembered against him. He has done what is just and right, and he will surely live. It may bring to uh, mind for you the passage where it says, as far as the east is from the west is how far he has put our sins. And what I love about Verse 16 is you just expect and what the people deserve is judgment, judgment, and then a heaping scoop of judgment on top of judgment. And in the midst of that, uh, God is saying, repent and live. Turn to me and live. You know, sometimes when we've been wronged, uh, we don't want the person to repent because it's a lot easier to cross them off. It's a lot easier to rule them out. It's a lot easier to distance ourselves from them. It's a lot easier to never see them again, never talk to them again. It's a lot easier to avoid them, and that's not how God relates to us. He doesn't look at us and go, gosh, serves him right. It's the last time uh, he desires to draw us back to himself. Ezekiel thirty three seventeen our, our fourth item here. Um, it's interesting. These people are so backwards that they think their way is right, even though they've made a mess, and God's way is wrong. Uh, Ezekiel thirty three seventeen it says, Yet your people say, this is right after 16, right after God has said, turn and live. Verse 17, Yet your people say the way of the Lord is not just, when it is their own way that is not just. God's like, I'm pulling out my hair here. I told you what to do. You don't do it. You go your own way. You've made a mess. It's clearly not working. You're clearly not happy. You're clearly not in my will. You're clearly not experiencing the favor or the benefits that I promised to you. And yet, when I tell you what to do, you don't listen and you think my instruction is unjust. You think my instruction is crazy. You ignore what I say. You've got it totally backwards. You've made a mess, but you keep going that way. I wonder... I wonder if we are ever like that. We've made a mess, but we just keep going our way, ignoring God's way. Um, For those of you that are married, uh, isn't the uh, impulse that you have to make marriage all about you and about you being happy? When God says the purpose of our marriage, the relationship between a husband and a wife, is to show the world the relationship between Jesus and the church and make that compelling and winsome and attractive through our marriage, but we want to make it all about ourselves. Maybe with our resources, with our finances, uh, many of us look, look at what we have and it's what we've earned. It's what I've earned. I've worked hard. I've worked long. I deserve this and it's mine to use however I want. God says it's all a gift from the Lord. Invest it for the kingdom. Marriage, um, our money, uh, even the, the pace, the tone, the purpose of our life, Um, we're inclined to live for today, get as much out of today as we can, do as much of the things that we want to do today as we can. And what does the Lord say? Your life is 
but of vapor. So invest it for tomorrow. I wonder if in many ways we are backwards like the people of Israel were backwards. And, and so it's significant for us to sit with and consider because we see their brokenness. And if we don't see our own brokenness, uh, then God's mercy and God's favor and his grace uh, become things that uh, maybe at, like at a, at a buffet, just something we don't think we want and don't think we need. Not only are the people broken, uh, Ezekiel 34 tells us the leaders are broken. Let me read real quick what the Lord says about the leaders of Israel so that we see this whole nation is corrupt and broken. If the mission of God involves pursuing broken people, uh, we need to realize that he does that even when we are wholly, totally, completely, to our core, uh, broken and rotting. This is what God says about the leaders of Israel. It says in 34, chapter 1, 34, verse 1, The word of the Lord came to me, to Ezekiel, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Shepherds of Israel could be the rulers, could be the spiritual leaders, could be the kings, could be all of the above. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, even to the shepherds, Thus says the Lord God, Ah, shepherds of Israel, who have been feeding themselves. In other words, they've exploited the people. Should not shepherds feed the sheep? You eat the fat, you clothe yourselves with the wool, you slaughter the fat ones, but you do not feed the sheep. The weak you have not strengthened, the sick you have not healed, the injured you have not bound up, the strayed you have not brought back. In other words, you have done no shepherding function, no aspect of what it means to shepherd uh, have you done. You have not brought back the lost, you have not sought, and with force and with harshness you have ruled over them so that they have been scattered because there was no shepherd and they became food for the wild beasts my sheep the lord says they wandered were scattered they wandered over all the mountains and on every hill my sheep were scattered over all the face of the earth with none to search or seek for them in other words under your negligence leaders all sorts of atrocities happen to my people god says my people these are mine you were responsible for them and you did nothing that a responsible shepherd would do instead you exploited them and the result of your negligence was the scattering was the destruction was the devastation was the preying on of my sheep says the lord by the wolves and so we see uh, from beginning to end from top to bottom these people are wholly wicked have turned their back on god have missed the mark have deviated from his path in spite of that the mission of god is to pursue broken people and so the the text kind of pivots here as we begin to see what the lord is going to do to not just pursue broken people but to rescue broken people it's one thing to go out looking for that lost sheep it's one thing to be aware that someone is sick wounded stranded lost um weak it's another thing to go and to rescue that lost sheep and so the lord here is going to unveil this incredible plan where he is attentive to their needs in the moment he's attentive to their lostness their weakness their frailty uh, but he's also got a long-term plan for good for his people despite the fact that they have proved unworthy of it uh, if you have your bibles open still ezekiel 34 22 through 25 how does god rescue broken people 
Well, one of the ways he rescues broken people is he comes to our aid himself. Ezekiel 34, 22 through 25. Listen to the Lord's response after this judgment on the leaders and the people. The Lord says to Ezekiel, I will rescue my flock. They shall no longer be a prey or a victim, and I will judge between sheep and sheep, and I will set over them one shepherd, my servant David. He shall feed them. He shall feed them and be their shepherd, and I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David shall be prince among them. I am the Lord. I have spoken. I am the Lord. I have spoken spoken okay so this is the moment where dad gets home and says all right i'm taking care of this now god says i will be their shepherd i will put on the throne one from the line of david and i will go and seek them i will go and find them i will go and bring them back he's not joking around he comes and he does this work There's some really significant long-term things happening here. Uh, but before we uh, move to that, I want just to show you that God makes good on what he says to the people of Israel. We read about it in Ezra 1, because remember, their tremendous sense of urgency, the need that they most felt was the fact that they were captives, and God is going to address that Reading from Ezra 1, verses 2 through 4, this is God moving on behalf of his people to bring them out of captivity, not because they've turned to him with amazing contrition and repentant hearts, uh, not because they deserve it. This is God working for the glory of his name, showing he can rescue his people from anywhere, that we cannot be so lost that he cannot bring us back. Ezra 1, 2, 3, and 4, they're still in captivity Thus says Cyrus, king of Persia, king that conquered Babylon, the Lord, the God of heaven, has given me all the kingdoms of the earth, and he has charged me to build him a house at Jerusalem, which is in Judah. Whoever is among you, talking to the people, talking to the exiles, whoever is among you of all his people, may his God be with him and let him go up to Jerusalem, which is in Judah, and rebuild the house of the Lord, the God of Israel. He is the God who is in Jerusalem. And let each survivor in whatever place he sojourns be assisted by the men of his place with silver and gold, with goods and with beasts, besides a freewill offering for the house of God that is in Jerusalem. God's people are in captivity. God's people have no king. God's people have no land. God's people have no power. God's people can do nothing to better their situation. God's people are guilty, guilty, guilty. God says to this king, let him go. King Cyrus, working on conquering the world, he says, God told me to let you all go. What was, what was that like, do you think, for someone in captivity? The king says, hey, you guys should go build a house to your God. Huh? You guys are, are free to go. Huh? You will be given a, a free will offering for materials so that you can rebuild the temple. Huh? God just steps in and does it. And so it's good for us to be reminded often that God is very capable of just stepping in and doing what is needed all on his own. He doesn't need us. What is one of the ways that he rescue? He steps in himself. Um, we read Ezekiel 34, 22 through 25. 
a really significant text where the Lord uh, mentions that he's going to put a shepherd over them by the line of David. And he said also uh, that I will be the Lord and I will be their God. I will be their shepherd. Uh, And then in verse 25, he says, I will make with them a covenant of peace and banish wild beasts from the land so that they may dwell securely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will be their God. I will put one on the throne from the line of David. I will make with them a covenant of peace. And so uh, as we think about covenants, um, covenants are essentially an arrangement or agreement uh, that are related to some promises. And so you may remember Adam and Eve. God made a promise, made a covenant with them. One of your offspring will crush the head of the servant. That was, that was one. Uh, you remember Noah. Uh, God, after the flood, said, made a promise, made a covenant. I will not flood the earth. I will not destroy the earth again by flood. That's another promise, another covenant. With Abram, he said, go to the land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless all the nations of the world through you. Another promise, another covenant. You remember Moses. God says, Moses, here's the law. Here's how unholy people can live with a holy God. Here's what you do. And if you blow it, here's what you do then too. Do this and I will give you land. Another promise, another covenant to David. There will always be one from the line of David to sit on the throne forever and ever and ever and ever. Another promise, another covenant. And here what we see uh, in Ezekiel 34:25 is the promise of a new covenant of peace. A more uh, literal translation might say a new covenant that works. And we understand from Hebrews 12 that Jesus is the mediator of that covenant. We understand from Jesus' genealogy that Jesus is from the line of David. So while these people are so fully aware of how they've blown it and God is attending to their needs at the same time that he's speaking into their situation, into their circumstances, into their relationships, in the midst of their present sin and obstinance and hardening of heart, the same time he's addressing that, he's unveiling his plan for future grace. He's unveiling to them his plan for their good future and to draw them to themselves. And it's going to say in a few more verses that he will give them his spirit. The only reason that this is a covenant of peace or a covenant that works is because the Lord gives us his spirit so that we can do our job. Otherwise, we couldn't do our part. I I remember um, uh, teaching or taking Ian to the Tulip Festival, and he was trying to climb one of those rock walls. And we've never done that before, but it seemed like a fun thing to do at the time, and it was the fewest amount of tickets uh, for an actual ride, and so that's kind of where I steered him. Um, but he went over, and, and he got harnessed in, and he started to climb, and, and he couldn't climb. He wasn't strong enough. And so I stood behind him, and as he was trying to climb, I just put my hand in the square of his back, and all of a sudden, he went from no stability to uh, enough <laughs> stability to climb. Uh, but then the grips were too far apart and too high and too wide. Uh, and so as he would try to lift his little legs, he didn't have the strength to pull himself up and he couldn't find the pegs. And so I had one hand on his back and I'd use another hand and I would just kind of move his leg to the right peg. I would show him where it was. He couldn't find it. He didn't know where it was at. I just guided his leg to the peg and pushed up so that he had the strength to do what he wanted to do, the strength to do what he was trying to do. Now, eventually, 
I looked up and I realized, oh, kid, you chose the hard part rather than the medium or the easy. Uh, and, and so he couldn't see that. He was just fixated on the pegs right in front of him. But I was able to stand back and say, that's not a good path altogether. You have no business being on this path. And so after we tried a little bit, probably too long, I put him, brought him over and said, hey, bud, try this path. This is a better path for you. And, and so it just even in that moment, I was able to, to redirect him. And he was just doing what made sense to him. He was just starting with what he saw in front of him, but he, he chose a wrong path. He chose an impossible path, but it took someone else to kind of say, no, there's a better way to do that. And, and so uh, we understand that God gives us the spirit and the spirit uh, strengthens us to do what God has called us to do. The, the spirit alerts us when we're on the wrong path directs us, helps us find the next peg when we're just totally lost, empowers us, stabilizes us, teaches us, in, instructs us. And so here in Ezekiel, the Lord says, not only am I going to get you out of captivity, that's like the lowest level of significant thing I'm going to do. Here's what I'm going to do over the next hun- couple hundred years. Uh, I'm going to bring Jesus I'm going to bring one from the line of David, and even though you have no king, I'm going to show you that I can put a king from the line of David and make good on my promise to King David and to your nation. Uh, Not just are you going to have all of these kings who have failed you, I'm going to be your God, and I will not fail you. The reason this covenant works is because Jesus is going to do his part and gives us the spirit to do our part. That's something that we can count on. How does he rescue us? He rescues us by giving us his spirit. How does he rescue us? He rescues us by making us clean. The Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians describes us as a new creation. Here in Ezekiel, uh, the wording used is he's going to sprinkle water on us and make us clean. In the book of Jeremiah, a contemporary of Ezekiel, he says, I will write my law on your hearts. Do you see the movement of God from looking at a nation and now he becomes very, very specific, writing the law of God on each of our hearts, giving his spirit to each of us. It's this really neat and significant movement where we we see the attention of God turn to the individual and an individual responsibility to respond to him and him pursuing each individual and him empowering and equipping each individual to respond to him and walk the path that God has for us. If you're like me, when you hear about God as rescuer, a question that may come to your mind is how? That's nice, God. How? I need a plan. I need 10 steps and they better be linear. Uh, They all better be reasonable, better make sense, and they better be realistic. Like, I need to see this, God. And so it's almost as if, as if God anticipates his people saying, oh, yeah, that's nice. King David, yeah, we'll see if that happens. You're going to be our God. Uh, it's been a while since it's really felt like that. You can imagine the people saying, how? God, how are you going to get us out of captivity? We have no army. We have no weapons. We have no power. We have no money. We have nothing. How are you going to get us out? So then there's this really peculiar chapter that follows. Ezekiel 37. Some of you are familiar with the Valley of Dry Bones. uh, Kind of neat and special. One of the most well-known chapters uh, in the book of Ezekiel. Um, But after all of these great promises, right? Promise of his spirit, restored king. 
God takes Ezekiel out into the val- into this valley where there's just a bunch of bones. Uh, kind of sounds like a strange place to be, quite honestly. And he looks around, and he says to Ezekiel, Hey, hey, Ezekiel, um, can these bones live? Uh, 37 verse 3, can these bones live? Now, this is a trick question, right? Who, who wants to be out with the Lord? And he, and he says, hey, are those bones alive? Shoot. No, they're not alive, but clearly that's not the right answer. I don't know what the right answer is, but clearly that's the wrong answer. And so I would be silent. Uh, Ezekiel says, uh, he says, and I answered, oh, Lord God, you know. How is that for a passive, uh, noncommittal answer? Ezekiel, are these bones alive? You know, Lord. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And so uh, Ezekiel prophesies and these bones uh, essentially stand up and they they become bodies, but they become lifeless bodies. I said it's a peculiar passage passage, and and God is anticipating his people saying, how are you going to do this? God says, hey, uh, can I, can I make this into an army? God says to Ezekiel, prophesy to the breath. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they might live. And he says, so I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived, and they stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. So, Ezekiel thinks he's alone in this weird valley with these strange bones. Probably, God, can we get back? Like, what are we doing? Uh, And he prophesies to these bones and around him raises up an army. God says, see what I can do from nothing? See what I can do with no help? See what I can do with no army, with no weapons? In verse 14, God says, and I will put my spirit within you and you shall live. And I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it, declares the Lord. I have spoken and I will do it. I don't know what your temptation looks like this morning. I don't know what you're trying or you're trapped or you're tempted. I don't know what that looks like in your life other than to say we are all in that boat. We are all there because there's a battle, a spirit spiritual battle being waged and our temptation is to be defeated our temptation is to despair our temptation is to quit because most oftenly we see our battle not in spiritual terms we see it in the sense of what we believe we have the capacity for and so those of us that think we have a higher capacity run a little bit further before we fall on our face but eventually we all get there flat on our face and when we say how god how he takes ezekiel out to this valley and says look what i can do with nothing Look what I can do with no resources. Look what I can do with bones. Imagine what I could actually do with living, walking human beings, an actual army. Do you see Ezekiel? Do you see Roseburg Alliance Church? Do you see people of Israel? I don't need your help. I am the God who pursues broken people. I am the God who rescues broken people. I come to you. This is what I do. We see often in Ezekiel this line, then you will know that I am. In the Lord. 
then you will know that I am the Lord because God's mission is for us, but it's for all the nations of the world as well. And so when we fail poorly, we project a really pathetic view of God to the nations. But when we are flat on our face and we turn to him and he restores us by his power, not by our own, that makes his name look great. And when his name looks great to the nations, his saving restorative work continues forth uninhibited with power and he draws all people back to himself. Isn't that what we want our lives to be alike? That's one of the things that happens when we learn to fail well and rather than becoming more hardened in our hearts when we turn and we repent, when we take ownership and we allow God to lead, when we take a step towards him. I want to end with lyrics from a song that was written from Ezekiel 37. Some of you know the artist Lauren uh, Daigle. Here's what she writes uh, in the song by the same title, uh, Dry Bones. It says, Through the eyes of men it seems there's so much we have lost as we look down the road where all the prodigals have walked. One by one, the enemy has whispered lies and led them off as slaves. God of endless mercy, God of unrelenting love, rescue every daughter, bring us back the wayward son, and by your spirit, breathe upon them now the world that you alone can save. And the chorus says, and we call out to dry bones, come alive, come alive. We call out to dead hearts, come alive, come alive. Up out of the ashes, let us see an army rise. We call out to dry bones, come alive. Uh, As we end this morning, As we wrap up our service, we'll invite the worship team up uh, to lead us in a closing song. Um, Some of you feel like dry bones this morning, just spiritually dead. Some of you feel more like that prodigal, that wayward. Uh, And I would just say to you, uh, the power of God calls to dry bones, come alive. Don't be like the people of Israel and continue in that hardened posture. The Lord says, there's a watchman, here's the warning. Repent and you will live. Join me in prayer. Uh, Dear God, we just understand that uh, you are gracious in your posture towards us. You are moved towards us in our brokenness, not away from us. Uh, Lord, you don't don't give this assignment to a lackey. Uh, Lord, you yourself came uh, through the person of, Jesus Christ, uh, the God-man, the mediator of the new covenant, the mediator of a covenant of peace, the mediator of a covenant that works where you keep your part and by your spirit you enable us to keep our part, Lord. Thank you that you invite us back into your presence, back into fellowship, Lord, back into right standing uh, before you. Thank you that you are a pursuer of broken people and a rescuer of broken people. Lord, may we recognize our position before you as broken people, that we would not despair from that revelation, but rather, Lord, we would discover a merciful and gracious God who loves us and comes to us. Lord, may we come towards you. We confess that we like to hide our sin, blame our sin, try to work out a payment plan for our sin. Thank you, Lord, that 
Jesus has made the once and for all sacrifice for our sin. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before the team leads us in a closing song, uh, we've got a couple good-looking gentlemen up here. Uh, Are there any other elders in the room? Okay. Scotty's hiding back there. Okay, that's good. Rick has been in the sound booth. Uh, Jerry is not here this morning. As I understand, he had a work injury Friday. So he is not with us. They're at the hospital. Okay. We wish they were here. Um, some of these... Some of these elders will be going off the board at the end of the year. Uh, And I don't know if you know, but we have elders who have been on the board, some for a decade. Some saw one decade in the rearview mirror uh, many years ago. And uh, the role of an elder is essentially to provide spiritual leadership, spiritual guidance. They are a protector of us, uh, the sheep. They're charged to teach, to instruct, to pray for the body, to work, to present the body as mature believers. And, And so in Ezekiel 34, God judges the Israelite leaders and says, you have objectively failed at your entire job. You have provided no shepherding. Instead, you have exploited the people and they have suffered for it. And so Uh, I would say that this group represents the opposite of that. Uh, This is a group who prays for you tirelessly. This is a group that if they hear from you, discern from you, or discover that you have a need, they're on it. Uh, This is a group that cares tremendously about you, prays about the future and the direction of this church. This is a group that behind closed doors and in public has cared well for us, has navigated very difficult circumstances, has made very difficult decisions prayerfully. And part of what we enjoy today, uh, significant unity, significant peace, much of that is part is how God has used them to help steer, to help protect, to help bless our church. So uh, we want to recognize these four this morning, and Harvey Whaley is not here, and I think Jim Lee will be in second service. Um, Jerry's at the hospital. (laughs) Sorry, Jerry. Um, But we want to recognize you. We want to say as a group, uh, job well done. Uh, Rick's in his first year, so Rick's done a good job in a year, but uh, we want to say job well done, and as someone who has uh, not been here all that long, my family benefits from the consistency of leadership, from uh, your willingness to make this place a warm, welcoming, attentive place where we just see people caring for each other the example that you've set. It's the model uh, that you've set. It's the late night phone calls that you've taken. It's the Saturday morning work projects that you've been the first on the scene for. You have pioneered here in missions. Uh, You have been stability when there wasn't any. Uh, We are grateful to the Lord for you. Um, And Grant also is grateful to the Lord for you. But I wanted you all to hear from Grant because I've known you just for a few years. Uh, Grant's known you for a few more years. Grant? 
Yeah, indeed. Amen. And amen for all that he said about this group um, and those who are not here today. First uh, Peter 5, 2 and 3 says to church elders, shepherd God's flock among you, not overseeing out of compulsion, but willingly, as God would have you, not out of greed for money, but eagerly, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And these men have been an example to me uh, and to the, to the flock, to you, of, of faithful, humble service to Jesus. Our board is full of men who are stable and steady and who take their responsibility very seriously. They're men of prayer and men of compassion. They do their best to keep track of sheep who are wandering, bind up wounded ones, and attend to the welfare of the other shepherds of this flock. It's an honor to live among such caring shepherds. 1 Timothy 5.17 says that the elder, elders who direct the affairs of the church well are worthy of double honor. And I want to give double honor to each of these men, and especially to thank Jim Lee, who is not here, but to thank him in front of you. Uh, Jim's gentle and calm and caring spirit has an influence on everyone that he's around. I've never seen him get visibly worked up. Maybe Blaine has other stories, but I've never seen him get worked up. Uh, even in tense situations, Jim is measured and deliberate. He has shown care for me and my family in ways that most people will never know. I've enjoyed working with Chris as well during her time as our children's director. She has a passion for teaching children about Jesus, and she knows how to get on their level and make kids feel valued, welcomed, heard, and loved. A special memory is at Camp Sunshine, she had this thing called cafeteria comedy, let kids come up and tell dumb jokes. And she had great, infinite patience for them. None of them were as dumb as my jokes, by the way. Um, but she was so patient with the kids and really got them laughing. I'm so grateful to God for giving me the gift of serving Jesus alongside Jim and Chris Lee for these past eight years. We have a small gift for you all. Um, Grant said you're worthy of a double honor. Well, Scripture did, so it's even one step up. Um, uh, so this is a double honor because it's a multi-tool and a knife. Um, but one of the books that we're reading on eldering talks about elders uh, functioning as a multi-tool where every person on the board uh, has some similar parts to play. There's some overlap, but also some very unique parts to play. Uh, and the fact that we have different persons with different giftings makes the board one really useful tool uh, to advance God's purposes here uh, for blessing, uh, for his uh, good plan, and for protection uh, of this body. And so I uh, want to give you uh, these, and hopefully you don't cut yourself with them, um, but rather they're a reminder that uh, the Lord has fit this group together, uh, that each of you have had a part to play, uh, some more visible, some less visible, um, but every tool, every piece of that uh, significant, needed, useful, and a gift to us. So. Uh, would you join me, in, and let's just pray for the Lord uh, to continue his work through these men. They don't know that they get to be lifetime elders yet, um, but uh, they have cared well for us. They will continue to care well for us. I'm excited that some of them don't have to attend a late-night meeting soon. Thank you, Lord, for these men. You have called elders uh, to this church. You have equipped elders. Lord, you have given us criteria in your word that talks about uh, their character, Lord, at home, uh, their reputation in town, uh, the integrity that they have, the calling that they have. Uh, Hebrews 13 talks about the weight of, of that responsibility. And so we are grateful, Lord, that these men have accepted your call and take, took an, on that weight, believing that it is worth um, the weight is worth it 
uh, for the calling and for your good to happen here. And so we pray your blessing upon them, Lord, even as we uh, wrap up this morning service, Lord, with Danny here uh, leading worship, and, and we're just uh, reminded that you have been so faithful to us. You have been so kind to us. You have given us everything we need for everything that you have called us to do, and we're thankful that these men are a part of that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.